Thank you for tuning in to Far Better, where we look to be pleasing to God in this life, so our eternity is far better. I'm your host, Michael Clark, and as always, you can find information on where to locate us on social media in our show notes, as well as our email address if you have a question or comment. We'd love to hear from you, especially if you have an episode suggestion. We would love to do that for you if possible. Don't forget our summer season is coming up. It will be from May, the or I guess I should say June through July, and we'll be discussing the theme of far better than dot, dot, dot. And so we'll have several different guests come onto the program and discuss different topics, and hopefully you will find that to be beneficial to you. I'm very excited about it, and I'm looking forward to producing it and putting it out onto the podcast for you to hear. At this point in time, we're studying about people who dwell on God's holy hill, and who are they? And we talked in the first episode about some requirements for dwelling on God's hill, and we talked about part one. This is part two. And you might remember the requirements that we listed were as follows. We first talked about one who walks uprightly, according to verse two. And then we talked about one who works righteousness. Then we moved on to one who speaks truth in his heart and then backs not, backbites not with his tongue. And then he doesn't have evil in his life or reproach to his neighbors, and he honors those that fear the Lord. And we left off in that to where now we're ready to talk about verse number four. And this is someone who swears to his own hurt and changes not. If I am a Christian, I follow after Christ, right? According to 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 1, Paul would write to imitate him as he imitates Christ. Am I then to be an individual who changes constantly? I mean, think about it for a minute. Do I really need to be the type of individual who is constantly changing stuff? Now, don't get me wrong. If I'm doing something sinful, I can't have that in my life anymore. And so, yes, I've got to make a change. But haven't you ever known somebody who, when they were in college, they changed their major, like, every day, constantly? They're always making these changes, and so they're, they're with their friends, and they finally realize what they're going to do. I found my passion. I'm going to go into psychiatry. Wonderful. A couple weeks later, I'm not going to do psychiatry anymore. I'm actually going to study now to be a veterinarian. Oh, well, that's great. A couple of weeks later, I'm not going to be a veterinarian anymore. I'm going to be a teacher. Oh, okay. And on and on it goes until finally they settle on something that they like, and they end up getting their major in that. There are some people in the world who are indecisive. They, they don't know what they want to do. When I, when I look at somebody who swears to his own hurt, you know what that means? If I were to swear to my own hurt, even if it's going to turn around and hurt me, I'm still going to do it because I promised you that I would do it. And doesn't Jesus Christ have that same type of mentality? Isn't it incredible to look at Jesus and to see this picture of one who is going to do what he promised? And I'm to be the same way. I swear to my own hurt. I don't change anytime soon. When I look at Jesus Christ, I find in Hebrews 13 and verse 8 that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, I know, looking back on my life, I can see 10-year-old Michael and a difference between him and the Michael that is 
here now in 2019. There's a big difference. It's been 15 years. I have changed quite a lot, and I really do believe in the next 10 to 15 years we'll change even more. And while natural changes occur, the question becomes, has my Christianity changed? Now, I'm going to say something that's going to sound like a contradiction, but, but it's not. It should change between now and 10 years to 15 years from now. Do you know what it should change to be? It should become more and more like Jesus every day. I'm not saying that change itself is sinful. But what I'm saying is, if I'm going to want to be like Christ, then I can't change the doctrine of Christ in order to have a good life and think that that's pleasing to God. I have to have this mentality that does exactly what I promise to do. Do you know the sad thing is, many people in marriage don't stand firm on their vows. They swear before God and all of the people that are there, they vow that they will love their mate forever. And then they get a divorce. And no, I'm not talking about people who get a divorce because of fornication or someone cheated. But do they really swear to their own hurt if they say before God and everyone else that was present, I will love you till death do us part and money becomes a problem a couple of years down the road, and they determine, well, you know, it was a good run. We just better call it quits. Is that really what I'm supposed to be about? Marriage is not easy. I understand that. But we cannot... We cannot say something in one breath and then when life gets tough, change it completely. There's a song that is sung by the recording artist Ben Rector, which is called When a Heart Breaks. And a lot of people got upset when the song was first released because one of the lines is talking about this individual who woke up and he heard news uh, assuming that someone had died. And he says, I know the pain of a heartbreak. And he gets to a point in the chorus where he says, this isn't easy and this isn't clear. And you don't need Jesus till you're here. And a lot of people got upset. And originally I got upset too because it came across as if he's saying, you don't need Jesus until you're in a tragedy. But that's not what he actually wrote the lyric to intend. He wrote the lyric intending for it to say how so many of us in this world only call on God when we have a problem. That these people in the world have this mentality of, oh, oh, now I need Jesus because I have this tragedy in my life. And do you see it happen even in the world when a nation suffers a tragedy? When 9-11 occurred, I remember people on the news and in the country saying, we trust and pray to God and we want to follow the Lord and lean upon Him during this time of tragedy and suffering. And what happened? Life became good again, and so they forgot about God. That's changing in the blink of a moment because it suits your life. I'll call on you, Lord, when I need you. 
But in truth, we always need him. I cannot change. And even if it's going to cost me, and I think this is incredible to study this passage with a New Testament perspective, even though it's written in the Old Testament, swears to his own hurt. Aren't there things in Christianity that I'm expected to do that are going to be difficult for me to do because of past lifestyle or the way that I'm currently living, and I know if I become a Christian, I've got to change? And that it's not going to be easy, and in some cases it might hurt, whether that's hurting physically because I'm going to do something that is completely different than what I've done, or whether it's hurting emotionally because I'm going to lose friends and loved ones. But what are we willing to give up to follow after Christ? That's one of the requirements that we have to have. Another requirement is putting money, putting not money to usury. This is an idea of someone who takes out a loan and the money that is given to them, the loan has been lended to them or lent to them with an unreasonably high interest rate. You got a lot of people doing that today. You ever heard of a payday lender? Now, let me make this clear. If you're a payday lender and you're listening to this, I'm hoping and praying that you're not the type of person I'm about to talk about. But if you are a payday lender and listening to this and your mentality is, ah, ha, 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 we're going to sell them the money, the loan, but it's going to be with a ridiculous burden on top of it that when payday comes, they don't just owe $400 that they borrowed from us. They actually owe 800 Oh, you don't have that? Oh, it's going to break your bank? We can do another loan. Sure. And these people that buy into this mentality become oppressed because they can't catch up. The Lord never, ever, ever, ever condones this. In Proverbs 28, 7, and 8, he actually condemns this very process that one who increases his possessions by usury and extortion gathers it for him who will pity the poor. Someone who does this is oppressing people. If I want to dwell on God's holy hill, I, I can't be an oppressor financially speaking. What about the next one? Which is the last requirement that we have. This is an individual who doesn't take a reward against the innocent. We must not try to live off the labors of others. I have a lot of people in the world today telling me that what should happen is that I should benefit by what the wealthy have gained in their labor and working. But I understand how that works because if I'm going to look at a millionaire and say, hey, you need to give me some of your money that you worked and earned because you make way more money than I do, then I understand that logically speaking, it will get to a point where someone could look at me and say, hey, you know, you make a lot more money than I do. Give it to me. How is that sustainable? I know this illustration has been run into the ground, but it's one of the best illustrations that we have. A school cannot run off of this type of in industry idea, of this, mind this mindset that says, you didn't work for this, 
but because this guy over here worked hard, I'm going to take some of his and give it to you. Because I know if I were a student and I studied so hard to get an A, and I give my paper to the teacher and the teacher says, hey, thank you for giving this to me, here's the deal. Michael, I know that you studied hard. But Alex over here, he, he didn't do as well on the test. I'm going to give him a portion of your grade. I'm going to take 10 points off of yours and give it to him to where he gets a C and you get a B. You both pass. What do you think happens when I learn that that is possible? Eventually, I could come into school with the mentality of, well, I studied so hard to get that A and it ended up not even happening. I'll study less. I'll, I'll get a B this time. And the teacher may say, again, Alex, again, didn't really understand the material, and so I'm going to take from your B, I'm going to take 10 points, I'm going to give it to him, both of you make a C. And then I sit there and realize, well, hey, if studying that hard even for a B gets me a C, what's the point of studying? So I'll study less. And then the teacher might go to another student who's studying hard and saying, look, Michael and Alex are really struggling with the material. We're going to take from your A 20 points. We're going to give it to them to help them get Cs, and you're going to get a B. What's going to happen is that eventually I'm going to reach a point where I say, I'm not studying at all. I'll still get a grade. I'll still pass. And that's what people want our economy to potentially run off of. The Bible tells me in 2 Thessalonians 3.10, if a man won't work, neither shall he eat. God in his infinite wisdom then understands that if I'm going to turn around and expect something, I've got to give something. I've got to give something in order to get something. I can't take a bribe according to Deuteronomy 16 and verse 19. I've got to do the work to get the reward. And when we stop handing out the reward for the work, people eventually will just stop working because they're going to get a handout. None of these things are able to be compromised from part one or part two if I want to dwell on God's holy hill. Don't you want to dwell there? I do. I'm pretty positive you do too. I want to thank you for tuning into this episode of Far Better. I hope that we all determine to please God now so that our eternity is far better.